Well, this is the fourth and final week of our series, Jesus, Progressive Christianity, slash spirituality, and us. Uh, two weeks ago, we introduced you guys to some slides. Um, these slides were kind of virtually or um, visually, whew, that right there just cost me about a very embarrassing moment. I just about went down. Um, these slides kind of helped us explain the title, Jesus, Progressive Christianity, Spirituality, and Us. And the first one, you guys have it back there. Let's just put, we're just going to put one up today and just kind of leave it up. It's that uh, slide that kind of shows the spectrum uh, from what we call 10 to 0, with none of those numbers having a better value uh, than the other. A couple of things we wanted to say before we open up the floor for comments and conversation. Number one, and I think we've done well with this. I, I think we've kept this, tongue-in-cheek might be too light, but we've, we've kept from taking this too seriously and defining. This spectrum, this slide, this whole series is not a tool, or rather it's not a test, right? You're not trying to achieve a score. How many of you have perfectionistic type A tendencies? Anybody out here beside me? You know, you know how it is. Every time we take a personality test, we're trying to make an A on it, right? <laughs> um, I, I can't take, anytime I take an Enneagram or a Myers-Briggs or something like that, I'm just trying to make a 100 every time. And I'm trying to, it's hard for me to figure out what I am and what I want to be. And I just want to remind us that this spectrum, it's just a tool. It's not a test and there's no better score than the other. And I also, I think it's important to say that once you fall into this category of progressive Christianity, from our perspective, uh, we need to be careful that we don't feel like right or left is the proper movement. I can tell you personally that probably 10 years ago, and I'm not saying this is, is wrong or right, but for me 10 years ago, and I don't know, Mel, you may have gone through the same phase, Ten years ago, I fell right of a zero while I was pastoring. Um, and this was a gracious space, semi-gracious space to do that. But I fell right of zero. I, in the last three years, have come back across the line from zero. And I don't think being below zero is some anathema or curse. So my experience of the last few years has had right and left movement in it. And I think this is a fluid scale, and as long as you're honest, you can you know, find yourself all over it uh, at, at different times. So spectrums like this, these slides, we wanted them to be helpful, not hurtful. Um, we have to be careful when we get into things like this not to bring a hint of legalism to it, right? Where we start comparing numbers. And one thing, legalism has a lot of facets, but not just comparing numbers, but categorizing. Camps can start developing, right? I, I, don't, I don't think, we're not going to like put markers that say we would like all of our 10 to seven and a half to sit over here. And if you're in the seven and a half to five range, would you please sit in this quartile? We're, we, we always, and I think our church is really good at I don't think this is a, a big warning that we have to think a lot about, but we don't want to start categorizing one another. This series has helped us. Just do a couple of things I jotted down that I wanted to say. It's helped us understand the base theological premises of progressive Christianity. 
This is not an exhaustive series about this complex matter. But in terms of the base theological, philosophical premises of what is progressive Christianity, that's what this series has been. It hasn't even been a defense of progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity, no more than Methodism or Baptist Christianity, needs a defense, I think, or at least not in this setting. It's just been to explain, because progressive Christianity is the camp that Grace Point definitively falls within. So we just wanted to understand who we are. This particular spectrum, and, and I suppose there are other ways to do this, but progressive Christianity is that branch of progressive spirituality that takes as its spiritual base the life that we know as Jesus of Nazareth, the one called Christ. And so in defining or giving understanding to progressive Christianity, we're naturally looking at who was Jesus. Someone asked me this week, why didn't we look at the spectrum of what did Jesus do or what did his life mean? Well, I, I think who Jesus is and what he did are synonymous almost. They're at least Siamese in nature. They go together. So uh, we've been looking at what is our best understanding of the identity and purpose of this life uh, named Jesus. The exercise I want you to know, because a lot of you have just been here a year or two, um, you have, as Moses reminded the children of Israel when they came into our the later generations who lived in Canaan, uh, he was very careful to remind them that they were living in houses that they didn't build and they were drinking from vines that they didn't plant and eating from food that they had not planted. And that's, again, there's no harm, no foul, but this process expands far beyond the last year to two years. This that you have experienced and hopefully enjoyed over the last four weeks is the culmination of a 14-year process called Grace Point. This literally is the culmination of 14 years of earnest effort. I am watching before my eyes every week, I'm watching the fulfillment of something that was in my heart and something that I dreamed of and frankly, many times was not confident I would ever see. So. I want you to know, as I look at you, you guys look at us, but as I look out at you, I shake my head every week internally and I think, here it is. Here they are. Uh, this, this is amazing to me. This group and the way you approach God and life is what I dreamed of and at times lost heart that I would ever see. And, and again, that's no judgment that you're better than other people, but somehow what we're doing together, this is it. This is a progressive post-evangelical Christian church, which was exactly the niche that I dreamed of. So this is very satisfying for me. It's also very satisfying for the pastors and the leadership here to know that we now have a beautiful, explicit explanation of who we are theologically, philosophically in terms of a congregation. And the process that you have helped us and you're going to complete today, at least in this setting, in this series, this process is going to be written into an easily digestible, an easily readable foundation statement for our church. Because people who are curious about us, and there are people that are curious about us, people who are exploring for a church, 
pastors all around this country who are towing the threshold of where we are but scared to death to make a move. These people need to be able to go online, they need to be able to access, access us and have some sense of a position paper where we, with candor and articulateness, explain. And these last four weeks have given us, we're now going to set ourselves to the process the next couple of weeks of reflecting uh, Anna, Melissa, and I really reflecting on what the last four weeks have said and how do we put that in a pithy, not too long position paper. So that's going to be really good. Now, while that's true, and while we're always going to be concerning ourselves with matters of theology and philosophy and life, while we're always going to be open as pastors to have vibrant, life-giving conversations with you about deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, I think one of the things that we're most excited about, and I think you guys are too, is that now we have the liberty, with this clarity, we now have the liberty to quit speculating, to quit being confused, to quit looking for clarity, and actually to move onward and upward and forward to becoming who we are called to be as a congregation. We do not believe at the heart of progressive Christianity, and I would say this is true of Christianity as a whole, we do not believe that the point of God is to continually lead us into navel-gazing and philosophizing about who God is and what all of this is about. We do not believe God is a megalomaniac in the sky who wants us always to be parsing doctrinal statements and venerating and praising the ego of the divine. We believe ultimately good spirituality, and we believe that can be embodied by progressive Christianity, is to move beyond abstract thinking and actually do something. To actualize as human beings and to bring flourishing to ourselves with equanimity and mutuality with one another and to bring flourishing to creation. So this year looks incredibly exciting to us and it's a shift for me because for 14 years my central mission has been to disabuse people of a fear-based view of God. And that has been very doctrinal in nature, very, very philosophical in nature and that work will continue here but it's going to continue in a different fashion as we as a progressive congregation live out this spirituality that we all really deeply believe in. So we've got really good times ahead. You have done really good work. To all the new folk, thank you for being a part of this. You are a dream come true for me. To all of the old folk who've been here since the beginning, how do I thank you? How do we thank these people who have hung through this process? And I just wanna take a moment and I just want us to applaud not ourselves, but the beauty of what this church is right now. So let's open up the floor. Mel, you might want to add something to that. No, I can't wait to hear what the questions are or concerns or comments. So we always, in moments like this, need the brave folk to prime the pump mm -hmm. and to, uh, to stand up first. All right, here we go. Hold on, Dale's right behind you. He's Dale? fixing that mic. You got a microphone? Good morning. Uh, I'm Kate. One of the things that I've found 
over this past month of reflecting on these different ideas of who Jesus was, is, was, um, is that in order to allow myself to think differently about Christ, I have to allow myself to think differently about the scriptures that I've been taught. Uh, and it's been wonderful being in Brian's class in the mornings reading Adam Hamilton's um, Making Sense of the Bible, because um, it's just really helped that process. But um, it's really, it's a chicken and an egg. Um, do I think differently about who Christ was first and then apply that to the scriptures? Do I think differently about the scriptures first and then apply that to Christ? Um, so I don't really have a question in that. It's just been, I think, a key piece of what's, uh, what's had to happen to me to really, I don't know that I've been able to settle where I am yet because I, because the chicken and the egg keeps happening. Yeah, we come from a bibliocentric background, most evangelicals, where what we believe is driven by a literal understanding of scripture. People ask me all the time, do we have a high view of scripture? We have a very high view of scripture here, but I don't think that means what it means to a lot of people. We believe that scripture is a gift and it is the spiritual travel diary of our spiritual ancestors. And the word of God can come through that. But that is different than a literal, um, more uh, evangelical and even Catholic Orthodox reading of scripture. I will say this, that's so important. We've said all along that within, within Christianity, um, we feel like we ever are asking the questions, the five big questions, who is God, who is Jesus, who are we, what about the afterlife, and what about the Bible? Those were our five biggies, right? And the first three years at Grace Point, uh, I spent tons of time trying to really come after people's view of God and themselves. And I continued to meet dead ends. And I finally realized that there was no bringing people into this conversation that Kate's talking about. There was no bringing them into a, a progressive conversation without first altering their view or having their view altered of what Scripture is. Because as long as Scripture demands to be read this way, there's nothing they can do. So then the next five years at Grace Point, years three through years eight or nine at Grace Point, right about the time Mel came, was literally we were doing Adam Hamilton work. The, the, this is why this class is so important. This is literally what I began to shift to because I knew until people changed their view of Scripture, they couldn't change their idea of God and themselves and things like sexuality. So when the LGBT thing happened here, it was because we were talking about the fact that somehow we had to make one final effort to shift people away from this literal reading of the text to a more poetic reading of the text. And we literally were saying to ourselves behind the scenes, how do we do this? We need something really practical, something really practical to put into this process, this abstract process to make us look at scripture differently. And about that time, Westboro Baptist decided to pick at us. And we said, there it is. It is a hot issue. We ought to be involved in it anyway. We had kind of a don't ask, don't tell policy around here that was killing us inside. So the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, you are exactly Isn't right. Isn't it interesting to remember, for many of us that grew up in evangelical context, we started looking, it's probably been seven years ago, um, at different statements of faith from different churches, and every one of the first statements was, we believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. It wasn't, we believe in God. It wasn't, we believe in Jesus. It was about the Bible. Like, it always started with the Bible. Yep. 
And what a shift that's made that for us. That was amazing because when we started looking, it was like two out of three evangelical position yep. statements where we believe in the Bible Definitely. and then we believe in God. This is not the God belt or the Jesus belt. It's it is the... And I love the Bible. I'm not, uh, somehow, people like us, we maintained our love and said, no, there's something really beautiful here when it's read properly and utilized properly. So we didn't end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Others? Me. All right. Oh, there we go. Sorry. <clears throat> uh, I, I've been here for like, I don't know, like 9, 10, 11, 12 months, something like that. And I just wanted to say thank you for this place. I think I had lost my faith in whatever, everything, uh, and it was getting pretty tough. And <clears throat> I just, the, when the whole bakery thing happened, that whole mess, like a couple years ago, that I, I told myself, I have to be looking at this wrong. Something's, like, if I believe this in God or whatever, I, I'm looking at this wrong. So I re-challenged myself, and, um, sorry, and... Uh, then I listened to your, my brother introduced me to your podcast and I started listening to it. And at some point you talked about the prodigal son and how, you know, we'd been looking at that wrong, you know, from the beginning. And then, and how it was more beautiful than what we'd traditionally been reading it as. It's much more beautiful. It wasn't about the prodigal son as much as it was about that the father, he was with the father before, you know. And then that, that's when I realized, oh, yeah, okay, God actually does love us. He doesn't want us to burn in or, you know. We're not going to all burn in hell if we don't follow this narrow thing. But anyway, I'm rambling, and I'm really sorry. I just wanted to thank you because uh, I, for the first time in my entire life, actually enjoy coming to church. I do. I love it. This is the only place I have. My wife says, you should take a break. You, you, know, you, you know, spend a lot of time. You know, stay, you know, just stay home today. I'm not dissing on her or anything. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I love you if you're listening. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, but I, I say no, I want to go. I mean, I, I love going there. I love the drive here. It's beautiful, the countryside. I, Science Mike talks about people that are kind of like had this God gene and you find beauty in things that other people don't. And I just, all, all of it. This place is amazing. And uh, thanks, Stan, for powering through and not giving up. What y'all need to know about Jonathan, Jonathan is our bass player. He's our main bass player that plays almost every Sunday. He lives in Huntsville, Alabama, and he drives over every Sunday morning and drives back. All for free. So thank you, Jonathan. Not, not that we all operate from a position of shame, but if anybody is still struggling with your long drive to church, just look at Jonathan. <laughs> He's got you. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of powering through, there have been times, obviously, you guys, everybody has a job, uh, or most of you have a job, but we, you know, there are times you get tired, and Galatians 6, Paul said, be not weary in well-doing. Sometime doing well can wear you out. We all know doing wrong can wear you out, but doing well, you can get tired, and I, at times, I was like that little boy, last few years, I was like that little, I was like the kid that was in bed, and his mom said, you got to got to go to school, and he said, I, I, don't, I don't want to, and three or four times she kept coming back, Mary, saying, you got to get up, it's the first day of school, you're going to be late, and finally, he said, I don't want to go, the kids are mean to me, and it's just hard, and she said, I know, son, but you're the principal, you've got to go to school, <laughs> and I felt like that a few times, but <laughs> others. Hi, I'm, I'm Susie, and I've, um, I'm not a really uh, for old person, or I am an old person, but a person that's been here a really long time. Um, it's been, I'm kind of halfway in between, seven years. My daughter, Emma, who's now a senior in college, w 
in, made us search for a place to go. Emma's, you should know about Emma that she's queer, she's a big activist, she started um, the LGBT um, Gay Straight Alliance at Hillsborough High School, she was the first uh, homecoming queen candidate to bring the same sex uh, escort, which was a big deal at the school. She's now Black Lives Matter, huge activist, even arrested um, in Baltimore. Um, but good for her. No. Good for her. Uh, so she pushes, she pushes me, and now I have a, you know, my 14-year-old is also here. But we started coming early on, and we would sit here, and we would walk out from service. You should just know this if you're a newbie, and be like, that was amazing. Can you believe what they said? He actually said that. And we also said, they're not getting it. <laughs> We guess you would look across and I think, I know that person isn't hearing the same thing we're hearing. Mm. So it's been fascinating to be here through this journey. And it's also, um, my girls tease me because I'm usually teary every single service. And the reason that I'm teary every single service is this is what I've always believed. I remember being a little kid, we went to the Presbyterian Church, I grew up in Iowa, and saying to my dad, I was probably nine years old, is, is almost everybody a Christian? Like, is Christianity the biggest religion? And he said no, and he explained it wasn't. And from that time on, like, I knew that there was, that God was real, but I couldn't believe that the God I knew was going to send people to hell because they happened to be born in another part of the world. I mean, like, as a little kid, it didn't make any sense to me. Then I went to an evangelical church in high school because I could see that these people really l believed it. But I was a radical because they kept saying that women were less than and I always didn't agree. Um, so it's just been such an honor and a privilege to be here and every week hear you say things that I've believed as truth my entire life. And so thank you. And I'm excited to watch us become we as a congregation and we as individuals become more of who we already are. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Yeah. I just had a quick question. You mentioned uh, moving forward and moving from this place of figuring out who we are and who the church is and answering those questions into action. Uh, would you mind sharing like what uh, some of those examples of what action could look like moving forward? Gonna grab that? Sure. Um, we're hoping to continue doing some of the things that we're already doing, but to make sure that everyone is aware of it. That's one of the reasons why we're trying to hear from you as a community of what you're actually involved in as far as service projects and not just projects like I'm involved with Timothy's Gift. We've got a lot of people involved with Open Table, um, Homeless Outreach. There's lots of things going on like that. But a lot of you simply, so many of you are teachers. <laughs> we feel like that's a service project in itself, and we want to honor that. So we want to hear from you and celebrate those things and push into those things. We talked a lot in this last board um, leadership council staff uh, meeting that we had an eight-hour day a couple of weeks ago, how we really want to focus on ways that we can increase joy and ways that we can decrease suffering. So karaoke is a prime example of ways that we're trying to increase joy. And for the 92 of us that showed up, we left with a lot more joy than maybe we walked in with. And then we're going to focus on ways that we can continue to decrease suffering um, in our cities, in our families, in our workplaces, and obviously in our country and in our world. 
And so we're going to push into that. And I think one of the big shifts that he and I are going to work really hard on is, again, every week will not just be about these big, broad theological concepts. We want to take it down into the practical. How do we become better humans and better um, spouses and better parents? Um, all of those things. And so we're hoping that that shift will happen. But it won't be, it's going to be more of a nuance difference because all, we've said this last week, or I said it last week, we've already been doing a lot of these things. We just wanted to get this clarified because this is where the question lie. Often the questions are, aren't with our actions, what are we doing or not doing. Most of your questions come from what does all this mean for us as a community? Yep. The, um, Jesus was asked, what's the great commandment? And he gave two. He said, love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the third wasn't a commandment, it was an understood. Love God, love your neighbor, but love your neighbor the way you love yourself. It's interesting, Paul the apostle reflectively on that statement twice quoted it and James, uh, the epistle of James quoted it once and both times they dropped the loving God part. So apostolic reflection on love God, love your neighbor, love yourself said, you know, the whole deal really is love your neighbor as yourself. Now why would they drop the God part? They weren't dropping the God part. They were understanding this is the beauty of Christianity Christianity is incarnational. So being theocentric and being anthropocentric are not at odds. You cannot get more theocentric than to go deeply into the human. That's why Jesus said, as much as you did it to the least of them, you were doing it to me. So we literally don't feel like we're having to find the tension between the vertical and the horizontal. They really are the same beautiful thing. And in terms of loving our neighbor, we have to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Social action will always be a deep and vibrant part of this community and we've got to go deeper into it. We must be about reshaping the landscape of our world. But I, I, I want to caution us that the really great social activists are people who are loving and giving to others as they have loved and given to themselves. And there is a danger in social activism that you can get so outside of yourself that you're actually ignoring and escaping deep issues within your own psyche and your own needs. Do not lose yourself in social activism in an effort to escape your own stuff, your own addictions, your own struggles, your own lack of peace. So we deeply believe here there is nothing more loving than learning how to love ourselves and to actualize as human beings and to be full of peace and full of joy. And on that foundation, then we can love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So, we're going to be out marching. We're going to be out mitigating suffering. We're also going to be doing embodiment workshops and teaching people how to go deep and love themselves well. And I, I, wish that our, I wish that our building was filled. As we look, I mean, there's always the potential that we're going to stay here. And if that happens, it, it's not the worst thing. It'll mean this is where we're going to be. The thing that we can't stand is spending this much money on a building that's used a few times a week. This building needs to be full of activities and workshops and 12-step groups wherever we are that needs to be true. So we're going inward and we're going outward and we're going upward and when you do those right, they actually become the same thing. Can you say amen?
One other quick thing I just want to note. We also have reminded ourselves that it's not just loving God by loving self and loving others, but it's also and loving creation. Like there's a huge holistic portion that we want to push into that we would be uh, people that care about the earth and that care about what's happening to our actual world. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be beautiful whether it's here or in our new campus, if we could do something like a community garden where we're getting in and we're learning the soil and we're watching this growth process and then the what comes out of that, then we could share with the community around us. Many of you are excited about that. Why haven't you mentioned it before? <laughs> yes, yeah, so we want to be more holistic and that's going to be a needed shift that we've needed for a while and we're excited about. And we were talking the other day, we always say Christianity is incarnational, Latin, incarnare, carnivorous, in meat, in flesh. Well, humans aren't the only flesh in the earth. And we also believe that to say Christianity was incarnational is more than saying Christianity is inhuman, and it's even more than saying it's in flesh or animals. Incarnation, I believe it was incarnational because that was simply pointing to the fact that it's in creatio. And creatio, the Latin for creation, it is in creation. So we're not just about, we've been checking ourselves when we say it's all about human flourishing. No, no, it's about creation flourishing. Just uh, to tag on to that, I think if that figure up there is what's going to go down in our stone tablature, um, I want to respectfully insist that we put the down arrows on it because that's, if you're coming in from out of the cold and you didn't know who we were, that's colder than what we are. Um, because people, hear, I hear all the time, they go to churches for weeks and months and years and no one says hello. And I, if, if that's happened to you, please, I'll hug you after because it's such a warm place. And I think what we do with that is what, if, you, if no one knows about this place, that they would need to Explain know. the down arrows. For the down arrows, uh, I believe Melissa was responsible for them once this intellectual spectrum was, uh, or spiritual spectrum, was developed. Um, it's what you do with it. Whether you're a 10 or a 0 or a negative 2 or an 11, it's how you go into the world and treat the earth and the people and the, yourself and the social aspects of it. And um, I think that's really what you were saying is what we always hoped would be um, is the application of it to how you feel Jesus. And those and two things aren't intention. You know, I joke and say Jesus said well done, not well believed. But the reality is we do what we believe. And to do well, it's important to believe well. But if you only believe well and don't do well, what's the point? So that's the digging down. Let's make sure we believe well and on this foundation, dig down into who we are and what we're to do. Shannon. Hello? Okay. Um, Shannon. And I, I just had a comment. I appreciate the transformational aspect about the message. Like, when I first came, I didn't have words to put around what I was feeling. And being able to have the words, not so much to, to be in defense of somebody trying to combat anything, but just being able to explain my the reason why I believe this way or I live this way um, so that they can see like it's transformational not just because you had this experience and I did not have that exact experience that doesn't make my transformation as far as Christianity is concerned any less valuable than yours so I appreciate that. 
Well, well said. The, the first 10 years that I was thinking these thoughts, I did it as a Pentecostal fundamentalist pastor, which closed me off from being able to talk about it. And the misery was, I kept thinking, am I the only one thinking this? And when you think you're the only one thinking that, if you're arrogant, then you think, wow, the world really needs me. But if you have any sense at all, Brian, you think to yourself, am I crazy? And one of the beauties of this congregation is people come in all the time, and the thing that affirms us, because we're not so arrogant that we think we have all the right ideas, the thing that affirms us is when you come up to us and you say, I've been thinking that for years. All you did was just put words to it. And that's, that's what professional people do. Y'all pay us to be professionals. We're not developing beliefs. We're putting words and articulating what's been in your hearts forever. And this is bubbling up everywhere. Hey, my name is Barrett, and uh, this is my third time to be here. So it's good to be here. My wife and I just moved from Arkansas about a month Arkansas. ago. Arkansas. I got a question. Um, about f almost five years ago, I, uh, I sort of ceased to matter when I became a father. I'd like the most important things became my children. And so for me, growing up, the son of a Baptist preacher, you know, I, I, it's so important for me to, to go to a place where, um, to go to church at a place where I, I don't have to, my kids don't have to unlearn things that they were taught like, like I've had to. And so my question is, how, how can you be a progressive Christian parent? And also, what are the things that are being, um, what, are the pr what is the process of vetting what is being taught to my kids over here while I'm in here learning these wonderful things? Randy, will you go grab Anna? It's the most important thing we do here, actually, from our perspective. My... My 11-year-old came home the other day. I may have said this, but my 11-year-old came home the other day from school. She sat down. Or she was actually in the car. She sat in the car, and she had this dark look on her face. She has a friend um, who's moved here from India, first generation from India, and her family's Hindu. Nina's 11 years old. Listen, by the time I was 11 years old, I was biting my fingernails to the quick. I had a spastic colon and had to literally go home from school at times because I, I lived on rapture alert and I had dreams that woke me up sweating about hell. That's by the time I was 11. My daughter, she sat down and she looked at me and she just shook her head and she said, her friend, I think her name is Rashika, she looked at me incredulous and she said, Dad, she just found this out, Elkish. Dad, did you know there are people who think Rashika is going to go to a place called hell and burn forever? And she sat there a minute and she said, and they think that about gay people. Now, I'm not here to make a, th a theological statement. I'm simply here to say, my daughter has had 11 years at Grace Point. And I was thinking, she's 11 years old and she just found out that exists. Thank <laughs> God. Thank God. God. And a huge piece of that is the diligence we put into and the, and the work. Anna's in divinity school right now because we believe theology matters with children. And she's the best at this, actually. I remember, um, gosh, it was maybe, how long have you been? Four, four years ago? Coming up on four years. 
four years ago when she first came on, um, the other uh, gal, Jennifer Smith, who was the head of our children at the time, took Anna and a few of us, and we went on sort of a tour of other churches and their children's ministry. And I remember how eye-opening it was when we walked into those other churches, how it was, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, everywhere, like just in bold colors. So it was pretty and cute for kids, but we were like, okay, hold on, we need a shift. And here comes Rockstar. Yeah. Oh. Who, is, who asked this question so I can just actually look at you? Hi. Um, yeah, so what do we teach our kids? So kids, um, kids are very linear thinkers, right? They don't think in abstract concepts like we're able to do. They're not quite cognitively able to break down some of these big, big amorphous sort of concepts like we can. So here's what I try to do. I try to connect to their lived experiences, right? They are learning through play. They are learning through interacting with one another. So what do I do? I look at that and I say, you know what? When you treat someone really nicely, when you use kind words, when you use gentle hands, that's what it means to show God's love to other people. That's what it means to live out God's love for other people. Um, I teach them that they are created in the image of God. I, I teach them that they are beloved. And as they get older, I teach them what it looks like to be responsible to that belovedness and to others' belovedness by, again, loving yourself loving others, just like what we were just, I was standing in the back when we were just talking about that. Same thing, just broken down and actually connected to their lived experiences. Um, yeah, does that answer the Yes, question? and I think there's something important to say here because uh, some people have said, you know, do you guys do Christian education? We do spiritual formation from a Christian base. You see what I'm saying? We, it, it, this is not, we're not trying to indoctrinate our kids and make our kids expert Christians. We're trying to have them become fully formed spiritual beings. And our base to do that is Christianity. Now that may seem nuanced to some of you, but let me explain. Vanderbilt Divinity School reaches theologically and humanly incredibly liberal slash progressive ideas. It's one of the reasons I align myself with them because that's the way I, I think. Vanderbilt Divinity School is a Christian divinity school that reaches incredibly liberal ideas theologically by starting with Christianity as its base. When you go to Vanderbilt, your first two semesters, as Anna's found out, will be Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, Christian history, now there are other divinity schools across the country, Claremont and others, who do not start with a definitively Judeo-Christian base. They start with an interreligious base. The conclusions they reach are progressive liberal from a different base. Grace Point, as a Christian church, starts with a Christian base. We do not make that base exhaustive in its scope. We make it sufficient in its beginning. It is where the conversation begins for us. So we do teach our children about Jesus, but we teach them through the incarnation of their lives. Our biggest issue is that if Jesus corroborates what Anna just said about treating the outcast and and bullying and treating these very real, getting along with your sibling, if falling in love with creation, as Jesus reinforces that, we use Jesus and Jesus is a primary text for us. 
But our biggest concern is not getting them to memorize the 12 disciples' names, which, by the way, I can't peel off right now. So you see what I'm saying? We have a base of Christianity by which we do good spiritual work. I hope that makes sense. Yes. Okay, so um, in relation to that, I don't have an answer because I don't do that, but I have a story. I have a 12-year-old who is in sixth grade, and so she's been here for four years. And what she does is she listens to the radio, and she hears songs, and she says, we should sing that song at Grace Point because the song by Joseph, um, Heavy, Leave What's Heavy Behind, that was Sadie. She heard that song on the radio, and she said, you need to tell Pastor Melissa that we need to sing that song at Grace Point because that song is who we, th- who we are. Uh, there's a song by Drew Holcomb that we sing that I can't remember which, which song it is. We did White Flag. Oh, sorry, that was, that was Joseph, White Flag. Burn the White Flag. We're not surrendering. That was the Joseph song. Um, but there's a Drew Holcomb song that she also heard. That's who we are. We need to sing that song at Grace Point because she hears concepts that she, she hears in Children's Church, and she can process through that filter a song that doesn't say Jesus and it doesn't say God, but she knows that that's Jesus and that's God, and that's who we are. And so she, she has learned without being told specifics, if that helps some. And I think she should also know that the Gospel of Luke's Thaddeus is the Gospel of Mark's Bartholomew. No, I'm just kidding about that. I think that's that's important. No, and I just want to say quickly, the intentionality that I talked about last week that we try so desperately to put into this service, that is what Anna does with every single lesson and child in the back. And so can we just honor her because we don't get to honor her enough. She's a decent singer, too. (laughs) Not too shabby. She's still working on her pitch a little bit, but pretty good. Um, So, my name's Tara. Um, So, understanding that the majority of the people in this room haven't been through the 14-year experience, um, haven't walked in this, and maybe one or two years into reconfiguring? That's not the word. Reconstructing, yeah. Reconstructing. There we go. Um, I'm going to assume that the, there's still a lot of people in this room or watching online or whatever that will continue to have questions and will continue to struggle with, um, feeling comfortable giving themselves a number or finding their place on this scale. And even at what specific point they jump over into progressive Christianity. So I think it may be helpful because we're not going to continue to spend a lot of time um, communally on this, if there was a directional path, you know, as leaders you could send people on. The top five books that helped me get started, um, what I really started to notice or read outside of that, and I think um, then more organic conversations out of that would be great, but just some totally agree. Ideas, ideas to push people towards. Yeah, totally agree. Stan? Hello, I'm Jeff, and uh, I've been here for about five minutes, so <laughs> this is our first time we have kids, so I appreciate first that time? conversation. First time? First time. Um, it's an uh, interesting morning to be here the first time. I really, 
I like seeing people talk the other way, so that's pretty cool. And, uh, and there's a lot of humility. I mean, actually seeing somebody say, this is what we believe, and then put up a spectrum uh, is pretty unique, too. But my question is, you know, um, a lot of what you're saying resonates with, with me and my wife and the kind of conversations we have at home. Um, but when I think about how to uh, take that back to kind of where we come from, our history, our family, the people in our neighborhood, um, I, I don't really have the tools to kind of break down some of the walls that they've built up over a long time. Things like, um, you know, referring to the Bible first and foremost for every, every piece of belief or question that I want to ask or challenge that I want to make about how to treat your fellow man. Um, so do you have tools like that? I mean, I, I think that we'll be here more often, um, so I look forward to learning. But is there something like that that, that you can kind of point us to? You know, there should be, we should have a class because at the heart of the idea of good news, gospel, the word, um, the word, the word in Greek is where we get the word evangelical from or evangelism, uh, euangelion. At the heart of that idea of good news is proclamation. There is no good news without a sense of, of verb and proclamation. How do you have something this good and not proclaim it? And I actually now, to some degree, feel more evangelical than I've ever felt in the sense that I just want to share this. Because it's always been my heart to disabuse people of something that I think is the bane of humanity's existence, and that's a fear-based view of God. If religion is evolving, Positively, it has got to move in the direction of Jesus saying, fear not, fear not, fear not. So how do we proclaim something and yet not fall into that category that I found myself in the last 14 years of trying to change people who didn't want changed? And presumptuously thinking I have a better idea that I'm, I want to get through to them. I have experienced success and failure uh, to such an extent, I think that, that that is a really incredible conversation. Part of, though, of progressive Christianity is I am starting to relax. You know, if the Messiah didn't have a Messiah's complex, there's no need for me to get one anytime soon. And I think the reality is that everybody's on their journey. I'm beginning to look at my friends who have these ideas that I think are abominable and hurtful and realizing there was nobody who could help me skip a step. There was nobody who could have like pulled me over. It was every conversation, every interaction. Looking back, people say, when was the moment or what were the tipping points? I don't have any. It has been a long, organic process. Reading has been incredibly important because reading is safe. I'm not on the spot with somebody and they're not trying to convince me. I'm alone. So the right books, as Tara was saying, I think that's something we really, really need. We need a glossary of books here that have been for this step and this step and this step. But then relationally, the first 12 years here, I wanted to intellectually force a conversion and change people's mind. And it, it, it doesn't work. I still have that as my heart to see people change and have a better view of God and themselves. I think this congregation going down now and living it out, as I look back at the things that really impacted me, when I began meeting, I remember as a young Pentecostal evangelist 
in the United Pentecostal Church, I knew there was a man named L.H. Hardwick who had left the United Pentecostal Church and pastored a large church in Nashville, and he was a cursed man, he was anathema, he was a heretic, he was this awful, awful. And through the years, I kept hearing about this guy named L.H. Hardwick and this vision built in my mind about how bad this guy was. And then I met him. I remember he didn't have to say a word. His life so impacted me. I remember I was so shocked. There could have been a thousand theological debates that would not have impacted me like the way my heart dropped when I realized I had been judging this human being for years and I didn't even know him. And just the base goodness of his life and the peach cobbler we ate together changed me. There will never be any better way to proclaim the gospel than to digging down and living good lives and letting people have their journey. Nobody can skip a step. We've all got to go through. Let's just live decently with one another. Darren, you said it well this week. I wish I could read your post about, hey, gang, let's quit forcing so hard and being so angry. We are not going to overcome evil with evil. Relax, God's not somewhere popping Xanax with an ice pack on her head worrying. It's all gonna be okay. All manner of things shall be well, so respect the process. I think we should invite our leadership yep, council yep, yep. As they're coming up, what are, what's your name? Jeff and what, and Lisa? Jeff and Lisa, leadership council coming up. This is so, y'all, this is so beautiful. I want to make note of something. For us, it feels so refreshing to me. They walked into this place, they saw the spectrum, and they're like, okay, maybe. Like, okay, because lots of people are going to walk in. This is important for you to realize. Some people are going to walk in and see the spectrum or hear what we're saying and walk right back out, and we will bless them as they come, and we will bless them as they go. This is not going to be somewhere for everyone, but when we start proclaiming this and when you start telling your story, whether that's in your families or in your workplaces or every time we're at a lunch, like we'll all go to Drake's together, a lot of us after church today, sit down because people like them, they need to know that there's some me too's in this congregation, that people that have been there where they are, that you've been there before and share your story that is so important that it does not just come from the platform and it doesn't just come from our website, but that it will come for all of you. But we should celebrate that there's going to be people that walk in our door and say, a breath of fresh air finally. And we'll celebrate that some people will leave, but so we're glad you're here. So, um, Mary, get assertive, Miss Facilitator. Mary Gist has been on our board for how long, Mary? Six months, she is taking over the role of facilitator from Justin Pitt. Wave your hand, Justin. Justin has served faithfully for years and is now rolling off along with Lee Anglin's rolling off and uh, one other. Anyway, we've got a business meeting. You guys recommended 23, 22 or 23 wonderful people and the board has spent a, a great process doing the vetting. So Mary, tell them who the four nominees are and then we're going to go to the Congress, and we're going to read some letters from Credit Scott King and see if we can get these people confirmed. Thank you. Um, and I, I do want to um, um, introduce the folks we have up here um, that are our current leaders, and a few there are current leaders that are not with us today. Uh, David Serbaugh, that, give a little wave. <laughs> Justin Pitt, Carol Brusigar. Van Calhoun, Carol Anglin, and Carol's boyfriend is with her today. <laughs> Lee, that handsome devil. 
<laughs> uh, and we have Pamela Bishop. You're not here with us. Pamela Bishop and Barbara Casey are also um, have been on the leadership council for some time. I want to to pause and say that we we have some folks rolling off. We serve three-year terms. So Justin Pitt and Lee Anglin and Barbara Casey are rolling off, and I, there there is nothing that I can think of to to describe the impact that these folks have had on this church. Tremendous, brave leadership. So please. I will say that in the last six months, I, I have just fallen in love with, with these folks. Um, as Stan mentioned, we had 22, 23 folks nominated to, to uh, fill. Recommended. Recommended. I'm sorry. Recommended. Recommended um, to, to serve these uh, three vacancies that are rolling off and a potential vacancy. Um, Carol keeps threatening to move to California. Carol Brusigar. We're trying to thwart that, but boo. Yes. Boo. 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 So, um, 22-23 recommended. Um, <laughs> we we spent collectively and individually um, upwardly of 40 hours uh, parsing through these candidates and. I think it is a great sign of, of the current flourishing and future potential of, of this church that we had such a huge number of wonderful people who were recommended. It made our task a bit more difficult, but we, we are happy to share with you um, the names and um, just a brief description of the four uh, folks that we are recommending um, for these four openings. On Wednesday, February 15th, this coming Wednesday, we will have our annual business meeting and give you the opportunity to vote for this slate of folks. Um, so first of all, and if you're here, give a little wave. Kathy Gilliland, are you here? There, back in the back, Kathy Gilliland. Kathy serves on the board of the local nonprofit group DeSana. The mission of this group is to improve and enrich the lives of children in poverty. Through DeSana, Kathy and her husband Brian work closely with an inner city school and families in need in East Nashville. Kathy worked with Room in the Inn at her previous church and has also been a small business owner for 20 years. Since attending Grace Point, Kathy says she has grown spiritually and truly feels like a part of the church for the first time in her life. Tara Hamilton, thank you. Stand up, Tara. Tara is completing her graduate degree this March in strategic fundraising and philanthropy. She and her wife, is it Elka or Elki? Elka, I meant to ask you that before I was in front of everyone. She and her wife, Elka, enjoy coming to Grace Point because of the relationships they have forged the small group studies, and because their children are happy here. Steve Hartman. Where are you, Steve? I know you're hey. here. Steve. <laughs> Steve has been in the construction industry throughout his professional life and is a partner of a large commercial paint contracting business. He has experience with successes and struggles and with making difficult decisions. 
Steve says Grace Point has changed his relationship with God and has allowed him to worship in an honest and open way that he had not previously experienced. Don Scholes. Don. 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 Don Scholes is an attorney and has been working in the same law firm for almost 30 years. He is currently serving as managing partner of the firm. Whether at work or among family and friends, Don tends to serve as a mediator to help tasks and goals move forward rather than concentrating on being right. Don first came to Grace Point in 2009 and saw a church that values love and acceptance and that sees spiritual growth as a journey. Again, please come to the business meeting. Uh, those of you that were here in the fall, you know that we did a, a SWOT survey. We will make references to that. Um, you may have noticed that we're already acting on the things that you shared with us as strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. One of the top uh, opportunities and, and requests that we got through that SWAT survey was you really want to know what our theology is and what the theology is of this church and thus the past series that that concluded today with these questions and responses that came from you that is, is something that you guys wanted clarified and stated we are continuing to to respond and put into place some things that that you would like to see and, and have clarified all right Mel tell them where we're going for lunch we're going to Drake's for lunch, which is right over off Cool Springs Boulevard. They have the whole back section reserved for us. We had a great time. We were there two weeks. Also, Coffee and Conversation is Tuesday, February 21st from 7.30 to 9.30 a.m. Tuesday, February 23rd, 7.30 to 9.30. So many great things going on. Lots of opportunities for you to get involved. We're so grateful for this church. Thanks for being you. Have an amazing week. Come by. Be back. Oh my gosh. Come be back with us on Wednesday night. It's been a long I need week. a nap. God bless y'all. Have a great week.